It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. After some serious soul searching and decision chasing, Quilt and ALZ founder and CEO Ashley Montgomery knew it was time to merge her two great pastimes, quilting beautiful fabrics and advocating, educating, and charging forward to eradicate Alzheimer's disease. In December of 2018, Ashley shared this vision with some very smart, incredibly savvy women whom she is blessed to call family. And on January 21st, 2019, Quilt to End ALZ transitions from dream to reality. I'm so happy to get to share with Ashley Montgomery today. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much, Paula. I am absolutely honored to be here today and excited to share my story. Let's start with your background. Where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in Texas, mostly north central Texas. Uh, we lived in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and a small town, which isn't very small anymore, called Rockwall. It's just east of the Metroplex. And then when I was four, my parents went through a divorce, and my mom and I ended up living in Stephenville, which is a small town, about halfway between Fort Worth and Abilene. And that's where I went to school and graduated from high school. Ended up meeting my husband there and graduated from college there even. Wow. Do you have a special childhood memory? It kind of is my whole childhood. <laughs> and I say that because all of my mom's family lived there in Stephenville. And so I grew up with my grandmother and my aunts, my uncles. I had family all the time. Every weekend, we were getting together for someone's birthday, or we were going to the lake, or we were going to ball games. We were celebrating a holiday. I grew up surrounded by my family, and they're very important to me, and we're still very close-knit, very tight. Cool. Do you still live there, or did you move away? I do not live there any longer. I met my husband in April of 1995. Actually, I had gone down to Austin to the University of Texas to go to college, and my husband went to college and played football in my hometown. And my sophomore year at UT, I got really, really sick with mono, and I had to take a medical withdrawal. My parents had to come get me, and I was very, very ill. And while I was home recuperating that spring semester, I met my husband, and I never went back to Austin. We got married eight months to the day from when we met. We met April 21st. We got married December 21st, 1995, and married into the coaching life. So we have moved around quite a bit, and now we are in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's the head coach for the University of Tulsa Golden Hurricane football team. We've been here for six years now. We just finished our sixth season. So being here in Oklahoma is my first time outside of Texas. But it's very similar, a lot of amazing people, very friendly community, and we've really enjoyed being here. Neat. How about employment along the way? Well, I went to college to be a math teacher. My dad had a gift for numbers, and he passed that along. Math was easy for me, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I thought, I'll get a math degree and see where that leads me which really and truly a math degree leads you to research, actuary studies, or teaching. And so I went the teaching route, but I never really got my career up and running. I got married halfway through college. I was a semester behind because I'd gotten really sick that one semester. And so I graduated in December and I taught as a full-time sub in the spring of 1998. And then we had our first child in June of 1998. And I thought I was going to stay home with him for one year. And then one of my mentor teachers was going to retire from the high school where my husband was coaching and that where I had gone to school. So this teacher, he had been really important in my life. And 
that October. So my, my son is four or five months old. My husband's coaching at the high school. And Mr. Miller passed away very, very suddenly of a heart attack over the weekend. And it was just a shock. We're in a small town, small community, very connected. And the school called and said, Ashley, if you will come and cover Mr. Miller's classes for two weeks, we will help you find somebody to take care of your son. And we just need help. Everyone is just reeling from this loss. And so this is how things can work in a small town. The school paid for my mom to be able to take two weeks of vacation from her job so that she could keep my baby so that I could go help all of these students get through this tremendous loss that they were feeling. So after those two weeks of teaching at the high school, it was just a hard assignment. It was difficult because it was such a quick transition. I'd been home with our son, Cannon. And I really felt like that's where I was supposed to be at that particular point. And then I was walking away all day long and I was going to the school where everyone was just so upset and struggling with this loss. And then I would go home and I would cry every evening. Uh And so after those two weeks, the high school was able to find someone to take over his classes. I stepped back out of teaching. And my sweet husband said, okay, well, that's done. You will not be going back to work (laughs) until you are sure you are ready. So I stayed home for, oh, goodness, I stayed home for 11 years. Wow. Yeah, I stayed home and was the primary caregiver. My husband's career as a coach at the high school level and then at the college level and now as the head coach at a Division I school. His schedule is very intense, and we just made the decision that we were going to parent as partners, and I would be the primary caregiver who was front and center so that he could come home at night and we could talk through everything and make all of our parenting decisions together. And he had this great piece about being able to do his job at the best of his ability because I was able to be at home with our children. And It required a lot of sacrifice. We didn't do the big vacations and we didn't drive the fancy cars and we would have lots of our friends invite us to go do things with their families and we weren't able to do them, but it was worth it to us. And so I did not go back to teaching until both of our kids were in school. We had just made another move for Philip's job. And I looked up and realized I was at home by myself all day while everyone else went to their schools. He was at the university and my kids were both in elementary school. And I thought, you know, I think I'm ready to go back and teach. But I have to say it didn't last very long. I wore so many hats. And when people say, what is your job? That's kind of my joke. I wear hats. I had been a stay-at-home mom for so long and been the primary caregiver and been the housekeeper and just really managed that facet of our life for so long that when I started teaching, I didn't want to give up any of the other hats that I wore. I just tried to put full-time teaching on top as another hat. And you just can't do that. There aren't enough hours in the day. So after a few years of teaching, my husband again said, Ashley, you're just really overworking yourself you're not going to be able to keep this pace up. And so when you look at all the things that you're doing in the community and with the football team and with the kids and all of these things, what are you willing to set to the side? And the only hat I was willing to remove was teaching. So I feel like I still teach because I love to share. I feel like God put it on my heart a long time ago to be a talker and a communicator and someone who shares. And I love to visit So I feel like I'm still a teacher. I believe in lifelong learning. But as far as the career that provides a paycheck, I haven't done that a lot in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. I wanted to jump back to your name. When I saw your name come through, I was thinking, how do I pronounce that? And then I listened to your video and was like, oh, it's that simple. So share with me about your name. Yes. So Ashley is spelled uniquely. It's A-S-H-L-I. My mom, she came up with that name when she was pregnant with me. She had not had a sonogram or anything. I don't even know if they offered those back in 1974, but she was just certain that I was going to be a girl. And she was at 
I want to say she was at a craft store or a home decor type store, and she saw a porcelain baby shoe. It's this pale pink, and it had some little pink flowers on it, and it had the name Ashley, A-S-H-L-I. And she said, I just knew the moment I saw it that you were a girl and you were going to be named Ashley. And so that day she bought the baby shoe and they said, well, how do we know what to put on it as far as they would hand paint the birth date and the time, the weight, you know, all those details. And she said, oh, it's fine. I'll take it today and I'll just come back after she's born. And she did just that. And I still have the baby shoe and it's a collectible that I treasure. I just love it. And it's funny because she told me that she would have dreams and she could see me in her dream. Like she just knew I was a girl. She knew what I was going to look like. And she just felt like she knew me before she even had me. And then when I was pregnant with my daughter, I had those same types of dreams. And it turns out my daughter looks almost exactly like the baby that I would see in my dreams. So I guess we were just connected in that way. And the Lord just put on our heart when we were having a little girl. (laughs) (laughs) How neat. Yes. (laughs) Besides quilting, what other crafts do you do or have you done? I started out scrapbooking. That was something that I really got into after my son was born in 1998. And I had a lot of fun with that. I had a little home-based business because in our small town, there wasn't very many options at all. I enjoyed the community that it brought together and the ladies that I would scrapbook with. And then once we started moving, that kind of fell by the wayside. But I really enjoy crocheting. I enjoy decorating. I don't know if that's really a craft, but I think that my mom is very talented at staging and decorating a room and her home. And I think she passed that on because I have so much fun setting up our houses. We've been married 25 years and we've had 10 different houses. And I absolutely love just getting a new space and putting our old things in it and moving things around and putting things in different rooms and color. And I think all of that is just part of the crafting and art world. I love to cook. My faith, family, and football, that's really my guiding activity. If I can be with my kids and my husband, that's really my first choice. But I do a lot of yoga. I'm a certified yoga instructor and I read obsessively. And when I grow up, I want to be a writer. So I do a little bit of writing here and there. I have a couple of different blogs and I have, goodness, probably eight or nine little novels started, but I haven't finished any of them. So I say when I grow up, that's what I'm going to (laughs) do. My husband and I tease about that. He's hitting retirement here in the next few years and we still say, what are we going to do when we grow up? Exactly. I tell you, our lifestyle in today's day and age is very conducive to trying new things. And I feel like there's so much knowledge and information at our fingertips that you can explore pretty much anything you want to do. And there's no time limit. You can start something new any day, any year, any age. And I love that. Mm -hmm. Well, I have down here other hobbies or activities, but I don't know. You may have covered them already. Yeah, I think I might have, yes. (laughs) I tell people that I'm an an author, a speaker, and a designer because those are the things I love doing around quilting. But I also, on my personal blog, I share everything from recipes to yoga to books to movies, all my favorite things. Anything that brings me joy, I like to share it with other people. Neat. Neat. Let's head over to quilting. Who introduced you to quilting? You know, I think that the Lord just put it on my heart that I needed to be quilting. My son was born actually a week late. We had to induce his birth and he inhaled amniotic fluid and it caused some issues having this fluid in his lungs. So he was in the NICU for eight days. And when we got out of the hospital, the pediatrician said, He's healthy. He's going to be fine. But I really want you to keep him home until he has those two month shots. So come back in 60 days. We'll get his shots and then you can start taking him out of the house a little bit. And I was probably about five weeks into those 60 days and I had not left my house one time. My husband was doing all the shopping, all the errands. 
and I was starting to go a little stir crazy. My mom came over one afternoon and she said, I took off from work this afternoon. Leave. I just want you to go. Don't come back home for several hours. I don't care what you go do. Just go do something to just to give yourself a minute to breathe and have a little space to yourself. So I really didn't know what to do. We lived in my hometown, which, as I mentioned earlier, was relatively small. And I just had a baby. I didn't really want to go clothing shopping or anything (laughs) like that. So I just kind of wandered around town and I found myself walking into the local quilt store. I browsed the fabric because I remember that. I just kind of walked in circles and touching all the pretty fabrics and the colors and just ooing and awing. And there was a little something that I found I was going to buy. It wasn't even fabric. And when I got up to the register, there was a sign that said beginning quilting class starting tonight. So we met for two hours every Thursday evening for four weeks. And it was all done by hand. It was a four block sampler. I didn't own a sewing machine. So it was a good thing that it was just hand quilting and hand sewing. And I just thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I have not yet finished the quilting on that. It's been 22 years since my son was born. And I love that piece. Each week we did one of the blocks. And so I was able to keep up with that. But by the time we got through those, Cannon had had his immunizations. Football season was starting. And we were kind of rocking and rolling. So I set the quilting aspect to the side. And I've worked on it. A little bit here and there. It was packed up in a box for probably 15 years. And then I got it back out right after we moved here to Tulsa. And I I keep it handy. When I get to travel with my husband's football team, I take it on the airplane. And I just do a little quilting while we're on our football trips. But with COVID this past year, I didn't do any traveling at all with the team. So I have it ready for next season when hopefully life is back to normal a little bit. Wow. That will be fun to see when you get it done. Yes. I think I'm going to frame it. It's in the colors that we had selected when we registered for bridal showers and things like that. And so my colors have changed a little bit over the years, but I have all of those dishes and linens and things like that. And so I've told Philip, when we get ready to retire, I want to come full circle, go back to all of those things that I've treasured for so long. So I think I'm going to frame it so it can be a piece of art in our home. Neat. Describe your favorite quilt, quilt pattern, or a quilt you have made. Well, I do a type of quilt called storytelling tees, and I love storytelling. I love hearing about people and all of the The experiences that they have, and when I started listening to your podcast, I felt like this is something that made you and I kindred spirits. When Philip made the transition from quarterback coach to offensive coordinator, I could see that our future might involve him being a head coach someday, and I wanted to have a platform to speak on. And so I kind of looked at my world and thought, what do I want that platform to be? And as I mentioned earlier, I am an avid reader. And I just love children. And so I went back to school and I got a master's degree in library science and information seeking skills. And I did my certifications that went along with that degree in storytelling. So I really spent a lot of time on how stories come together and what they mean to people and how people express themselves through different storytelling mediums. And then as our football family continued to grow and Philip did become a head coach, I started making what I call storytelling teas as baby gifts whenever families on our football staff would get pregnant and have a baby shower or have a new baby in our football family. And I would take t-shirt panels from our school, from the university here, and I would incorporate them with traditional quilt blocks. So my favorite quilt block is the log cabin. I love that I can get so many different fabrics. Even if I use the same logs on every block, I've got seven different fabrics in the quilt. But a lot of times I do scrappy. So I might have 40 or 50 different fabrics present in one quilt. And I just love that look. But I have so much fun incorporating the t-shirt panels 
as some of my blocks. I was telling Philip one time about just how much fun. He said, you're really making a lot of these t-shirt quilts. And I said, I just really love them, especially as these gifts, because I feel like this is part of this baby's story. This is where mom and dad were when the baby was born. And this is what our family did. We were part of this whole college football thing that is out there in the world. And it's such a unique life that we lead. And our our football family is so important. So I just started having a lot of fun creating these storytelling tees. And so that is definitely my favorite type of quilt. Neat. You just mentioned you like scrappy. Do you still have a favorite color palette? Well, yellow is my favorite of all colors. And my mom says that was even the case when I was a very little girl. And as I have begun doing more quilting with a focus on bringing attention to Alzheimer's disease, I do a lot of purples. So I have a huge stash of yellow and purple. And as I mentioned with my baby quilts, I do a lot in our school colors, which are red, royal, and gold. So I do have very specific colors that I tend to quilt over and over and over. Now tell me about your favorite tool. Well, I am very blessed in that my family bought me a long arm machine. So I have to say that my favorite tool right now is being able to quilt on the long arm as soon as I finish a topper. And I have a large stack of toppers that need to be quilted. That was really something that caused me a lot of stress that I was creating these beautiful toppers, but it was a struggle to get them all quilted. And so I really, really am grateful and just so appreciative to have this long arm machine. Nice. Do you have a favorite part of the quilting process? This is a tough question, and I listen to your podcast often, and so I knew it was going to be coming, and I've been giving it a lot of thought, and I think the fabric pool is my favorite part. I love fabric. I have way too much of it, and I think that it's so fun for me to create the concept of a project, and that's why I have so many UFOs, because I see something And I think, oh, wow, that would be beautiful with this fabric or that would make a great quilt for this person or this event or fundraising activity, whatever it is. So I pull all the pieces together and I have so much fun pulling the fabric and then something else catches my eye. And I'm like, oh, I've got to go through that same process again. And I really enjoy the fabric pull (laughs) a lot. (laughs) I'm laughing a lot because just yesterday I had fabric all over the floor. My husband and I were trying to figure out what's going to go in here. (laughs) (laughs) That's so fun. And it just seems like you can't go wrong. I'll sit there and pull things together and think, oh, this may not look very good. And then when it's done, it's like, wow, that is awesome. I love how that came together. (laughs) Now for the fun one. (laughs) What what was your worst quilting experience? So I have to say this is one of those against the norm, exception to the rules. But I told you about going into the quilt shop in my hometown and I did that little hand sampler and then I put it away and I didn't do any quilting for 10 years. Around the same time that I was getting my master's degree, I was looking for something to get myself out of the house again and just kept noticing the quilt store in the town that we were living in and found my way in there, started taking a couple of classes. It's probably about a year into it. And I signed up for a class using Eleanor Burns Egg Money Quilt Book. It was a monthly meeting where we were going to make it through 12 of the blocks in the book over the year. And I was very excited to be there. The woman who was teaching it was just so sweet and extremely knowledgeable. And it was the first opportunity I'd had to sign up for one of her classes. I was really excited about it. And we were in our third month of the class. We were sitting in the classroom sewing and the quilt store owner, and I truly believe she had something else that was weighing on her at this time, but she walked into the classroom and she singled me out and she said, 
Ashley, do you think you're just too high and mighty to pay for this class? And I was just dumbfounded. I mean, my eyes got big and I just froze. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, every other person in this room has paid for their class and you just keep showing up without paying. I said, no, I promise. I paid when I registered and you helped me pick out the fabric. I redescribed the day that I had been in the shop picking fabric from her and she didn't recall it. And she was just so angry at me. I was just dumbfounded. I was at a loss of what to say or do. And I said, I am so sorry. And I finished quilting that day. I was so upset. I just went home and I told my husband, I don't feel like I can go back there. I said, you know, I feel embarrassed. And he said that the check is out there. Like, you know, you wrote it. You've got it in the checkbook register. It's somewhere. And I said, I'm too embarrassed. I can't go back there. And so it was about a week later, the woman who was teaching the class, not the quilt store owner, but the woman who was teaching the class, she called me and she said, Ashley, the check was in the class binder. It had gotten tucked down at the bottom of the binder in between some other papers. And Linda's embarrassed and she wants you to come back, but she's too embarrassed to call. And she said, I've never seen anything like this happen in the shop before, and I don't know what to do either. And I said, honestly, at this point, I've kind of moved on. I've got some other projects going on. It's fine. She can deposit the check. She can tear up the check, whatever. It it doesn't matter. But I'm not really comfortable coming back right now. I mean, I had spent a lot of money on fabric. I had bought a machine from her. I was supporting her business in a big way. And I just felt like, wow, you don't belong there, Ashley. So I never went back to that quilt store. I never finished my egg money quilt. And I was actually making three of the same quilt for our lake house. And I wanted it to be in the girl's bedroom. And I have three little twin beds. And that's what I was going to do is to put these on these three little twin beds. I had this whole vision. But it was just such a, I don't know, by far my worst quilting experience. And I've been in many, many quilt shops and I've never, ever had any negative interactions, but that was by far my worst quilting experience. Wow. Yeah, it was rough. And I think that as a young mom and as I'm going to call myself, I was still a young wife. By that time, we'd probably been married 13 years. But I think we're always looking for acceptance. We always want to belong somewhere. And I felt like I had been building this community in this quilt shop and that I had a place where I belonged and I had a group of ladies that were becoming friends. And then for her to accuse me of being dishonest or in some way not being a good person, it was really debilitating for me. And I did not quilt again until we moved here to Tulsa which was another six or seven, eight years after that. Hmm. So back to making quilts, why do you make them now? You know, I think that I'm highly influenced by the women in my family. I was blessed to have three grandmothers, and my dad's mom, my mom Adele, one of my earliest memories of being tucked in blankets is spending the night, my older sister and I, we would go and stay with Mama Del and Poppy, and they had these two blankets. This would have been the late 70s, early 80s, and we called them Pinky and Bluey. They were just so solid color, super soft, probably some sort of a flannel or fleece blanket, and then it had the silk blanket edging, and one of them was all pink, with pink edging, and one of them was all blue with blue binding. Every time that we would spend the night with them on a Friday or Saturday night, if my parents had somewhere they needed to be, we would snuggle up on the couch with Pinky and Bluey, and we would watch television. We'd watch Love Boat and Treasure Island. I just remember the four of us being snuggled together And just that warmth and that love that I felt being there and being with Mama Dale and Poppy. And then my mom's mom, my grandma Sybil, she was a crafter. So she always was painting something, was making curtains or pillows. 
she wasn't a quilter, but she made some blankets. She made aprons. She made tons of pot holders. And so I think she's probably the first person that really took me into fabric stores and gave me the confidence that if there's something you want to make, just go for it. If it doesn't turn out great the first time, you can try again. But there's no reason not to try. And then my bonus grandmother, my stepdad's mom, she was a professional seamstress. And she taught me how to use the machine and how to cut patterns and how different fabrics work and what is the bias. So I grew up with those three influences that all kind of point towards quilts and the love of them. And then my mom is not a quilter, but I mentioned it earlier. She just has this knack for creating a warm and beautiful space. Just so much reverence towards the quilts that had been passed down from her family members that did quilt, her aunts, other family members. I mentioned my bonus grandmother, all of her family quilted. Just seeing how much love and respect my mom had towards these things and how she would use them in our home and how she would create these spaces that included gorgeous fabrics. My mom's homes have always looked like a layout in a Southern Living magazine or a Victorian home or, you know, something just so, so exquisitely beautiful. And just having this, I guess, this desire to create spaces like that and to be able to use my love of color and fabric and texture and then to make them myself brings in all that love that I felt from my grandparents and particularly the women in my family. So I think that they all led me and they were my inspiration to make quilts. Quilting just feels like therapy for me. I love being at my machine. I love cutting. I love pressing. I love, like we were saying earlier, pulling fabrics and trying this with that. It's just my happy place. So I think that's why I make quilts. Who do you make your quilts for? I make them for a lot of our close friends and our family members. Like I said, I make a lot of baby quilts. Uh, My husband's staff is fairly young, and so we have lots of weddings and lots of babies within our football family. And I make them for some of my family members, although now most of the women in my family are quilting. So I always feel a little silly making a quilt for someone who can make one for themselves. But mostly, I would say, as gifts for babies, weddings. I make some for fundraising pieces. And I know we're going to talk more in a bit about my nonprofit quilting business. But now that I've got that going, a lot of what I make gets donated to fundraising efforts for that. Good. Share a tip. The second class that I took. The first class in my hometown that was all the hand stitching. And then the second class that I took, the teacher, Gloria, precious, precious woman. And I'm going to say when I met her 15 years ago, she had to have been 95, but she's brilliant. Just the most brilliant quilter I can imagine. And she taught me in that beginner class how to sandwich my seams and to put a pin, so if, if you're sandwiching two seams together, to put the point of your pin a fourth of an inch down on the seam that you're looking at, and then push the pin through that, hold that in place, and then put the pin through the stitching on the other seam, exactly a fourth of an inch down, and then use that spot to push the two pieces of fabric together, and then kind of, you know, sandwich them and then use that pin and leave it in there because it shows you exactly your fourth inch point so that when your needle goes across it on the machine, you know exactly where the needle needs to hit. My points aren't always perfect. My seams don't always come together exactly perfect, but I have to say I'm usually very pleased, and I think it's the way that she taught me to sandwich those pins together. The class I took, the teacher taught that way also. That was the first quilt I made, and I gave it to my daughter. Her roommate said, wow, look at that, how those came together. And I'm like, yeah, isn't it great? And it came out so like, oh, yeah, I did a wonderful job. But no, I was just amazed at how 
that works. So yeah, that's a great tip. I still take the time. I mean, I've been doing this for a lot of years now and I still slow myself down and take the time to pin my seams together when I'm sandwiching like that. Let's move on to your nonprofit. Can you describe for me how you went from having quilting as a hobby to having the nonprofit? I can. So it was in December of 2018, and I was doing a daily block quilt along through Moda, the countdown to Christmas. In my mind, I was thinking that I was going to finish this quilt using these Christmas blocks. I wanted it to somehow be in remembrance of my grandma Sybil, who had passed away with Alzheimer's disease. And I used a lot of fabrics that she had left over in her stash that my mom had given me, all of her sewing stuff when she passed away. And so the fabrics were so special because I remember her sewing with them. We have Christmas tree skirts and ornaments and all kinds of things made out of these fabrics that she had used. And so I was posting each day this block and just saying, I'm doing this to honor my grandmother who died with Alzheimer's. And I noticed that people started commenting and saying, oh, I have an Alzheimer's story. So-and-so in my family has it, or a dear neighbor, or a coworker, or someone from church. And I just realized over the course of that month that it was really opening the door to conversation. So I wanted to participate in an event that the Alzheimer's Association holds each year called The Longest Day. And it's done in June around the summer solstice, which is the longest day of the year and the day that we have the most light. Um, And so it's an opportunity to shed the most light on the disease and how we can end it. I needed to register for it that December before the end of the year so I could get the free t-shirt, right? (laughs) And so I, I thought all right, I'll just go on and register. And I know I'm going to do something quilting wise because so many people are commenting on these blocks that I'm posting on Instagram each day. And I had to create a title for my event. And so I thought, well, we have a walk to end Alzheimer's disease. Why don't I just quilt to end ALZ? And so I named my event Quilt to End ALZ. And I registered it for the longest day and kind of put it out of my mind. And then about a week later, I was having a conversation with a friend of ours who is an estate attorney. She used to sit on the board of directors for the Oklahoma Alzheimer's Association, and she's a quilter. And so I was telling her, I've got this idea for the longest day event. I'm going to do something with quilting, and I had to name it. I called it Quilt and ALZ. I'm excited about this. Like, I can't even sleep. I'm just thinking about what we can do for this event. And she said, well, does it have to just be one day? And I thought, well... No, I I don't guess it does. I guess I can quilt year round and do it in honor of Alzheimer's and use it as a catalyst to start conversations. And she said, well, as your estate attorney, we need to set you up as a nonprofit because quilting is not inexpensive, as you well know. And if the bulk of what you're working on is going to be a donation, you're going to have to have some break from the expenses. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to make any traction on your fundraising efforts. And so in January 21st of 2019, on Grandma Sybil's birthday, we launched Quilt to End ALZ. It is a 501c3 nonprofit, and our mission is to connect quilters with the fight to end Alzheimer's disease. Oh, cool. What all does Quilt to End ALZ encompass? So one of the big things that we need in Alzheimer's advocacy is just open conversation. And so the number one thing that I do through Quilt and ALZ is to open that door of communication. And I do that through education and programs. I speak to guilds and I have a program that encompasses a little bit of my personal quilt story and some basics about Alzheimer's disease. And it's incredible because after I give a presentation to a guild, I always have someone who comes up and says, I lost a loved one to Alzheimer's disease and I still learn new things today. So I really take a lot from that. That's the best compliment. It means so much to me when someone says, 
you help me understand this disease. And so I do a lot of education through speaking. I send a weekly email out that really centers around quilting, but always has a little nugget of Alzheimer's information in it. We do events like the Longest Day event, and we also have patterns and kits that we sell on our website. We're working on a new series called our Marquee Designer Series, where we're partnering with quilt designers to be able to build one another's audience together so that we can reach more people and let them know that we exist. And I've done a lot of blogging with other quilters and quilt bloggers. So one of the projects I'm working on this year is a 2021 color challenge where each month we focus on a different color and another quilt designer is creating a pattern. And then I piggyback off of that and share what she's doing and then how I'm incorporating that in my own projects. So those types of things help us open the door to communication with more quilters. And then we do sell merchandise. Like I said, we've got patterns, kits, 80% of everything that we sell goes directly to Alzheimer's care, support, research, advocacy, education, things like that. So we're really in tune with the nonprofit side of it because everything that we do goes back to that mission of connecting quilters to the fight to end it. So it's connection and it's what we can do together and it's creating a world without Alzheimer's disease. How wonderful. It's really been fun. I mentioned earlier in our interview that when it looked like my husband was going to reach a level of success in his coaching career that would give me a local platform, I thought, okay, I'm going to go be an expert in children's literacy. And I still love that. And I still volunteer in those areas. But as our journey has progressed, the burden of Alzheimer's and how it affects families has been front and center in our own family. And it just has naturally played out that this is what the Lord intended me to do. I wrote in my Bible years ago, in 2014, so almost seven years ago, it was my prayer. Lord, help me be a light of optimism, support, and spirit everywhere and in each moment. And I feel like he put Quilt and ALZ on my heart to create this platform so that I could do that, so that I could bring hope to people who are being affected by the disease, whether that's with a diagnosis or with caregiving, or someone has lost a loved one to Alzheimer's disease or dementia. This gives them a community where other people understand what they've been through. Yeah. It's rare that I come across people that don't have some sort of an Alzheimer's story. Even when I speak to young people at the college level, the very first time I spoke to a group at a fraternity, I said, you guys probably don't know much about Alzheimer's, probably haven't heard of it. You guys are so young. And afterwards, I was inundated with people coming up and saying, oh, Ms. Montgomery, my grandmother, our neighbor across the street, the man that we sat next to at church for my entire childhood. I was just blown away that these 18 to 22 year olds already had an Alzheimer's story. And that's kind of heartbreaking. And that's why I feel like it's so important to have these conversations. Yeah. Do you see people starting down that journey, not realizing that's what it is? I think so. And it's interesting. I was reading an article this week that I plugged into my email that went out earlier today. And it was about the pandemic brain fog. And I had a knee replacement surgery last February. It's been almost a year. And I remember that horrible feeling. And I know it was induced from the surgery and the trauma and the medications that I had to be on, but just this brain fog, what a scary sensation it is and how people feel like they can't clear the haze. They can't sift through this density that they're feeling. And I do imagine that people feel that and it is not dementia related, but I think that it is such a scary thing that even if people are questioning like, oh, I seem to be forgetting this or I don't know where I set my keys or I can't remember this or that, 
there's such a fear about being diagnosed with Alzheimer's or dementia that I do think that they might question it, but they don't want to face it. And so they do go down that path. But when I teach, I trained as a volunteer speaker and an educator for the Alzheimer's Association. And one of the things that I tell people is that we all forget things. Personally, I think it's because we do so much multitasking. And so an example that I give is that if you walk in from the grocery store and the phone is ringing, the dogs are barking, you're dropping the groceries, and you've got all these things going on at once, and you just throw the ice cream in the freezer, later on you can't find your keys, and you start retracing your steps, and you find them sitting with the ice cream in the freezer, it's not because you have Alzheimer's disease. It's because you had too much going on, and your keys <laughs> fell out of your hand with the ice cream. But if you lose your keys, and you open the freezer, and you see them in there, and you can't remember that you just bought ice cream, you don't know what the keys go to, and you're not exactly sure that they're even yours, then you need to call a doctor and have an evaluation. So it is forgetfulness at a whole different level. It's not just the normal, okay, honey, where did I set my glasses again? We mentioned it earlier, these little AirPods that we wear to hear each other better on the phone and stuff. I set mine all over the house, usually around my sewing area. And everyone in my family laughs. I'm like, I can't find my AirPods. And they're like, it's okay, mom, we'll go find. I don't think I have Alzheimer's disease. I think I don't pay attention to where I set my stuff. And so it's something that people should not be afraid to schedule an appointment with whatever doctor they feel most comfortable with. If that's a family physician they've known for decades, if that is a neurologist, if that's a psychiatrist, a psychologist, just whatever doctor they feel most comfortable opening up and saying, this is why I'm a little concerned, that person can do some evaluations and see, is there cause for concern? And here's the thing, some dementias are reversible. So dementia is an umbrella term and Alzheimer's disease just happens to be the most prevalent form of dementia. So we have several other dementias that are treatable, even curable, like vascular dementia. I know my grandma Sybil, who died with Alzheimer's, I have one of her journals, and she wrote in there nine years before she died, and she says, I have an appointment with the heart doctor this week, and I hope he can figure out what's going on because I can't remember anything. And that is a perfect example of vascular dementia when you've got something else going on in the vascular system and so many other systems. Dehydration can cause dementia-like symptoms. So I tell people, don't be afraid to make that phone call or to tell your loved ones, I'm a little nervous. It's not just making yourself a to-do list to remember. I write everything on my calendar. It's not that. It's when you have to write on a post-it note, what the steps are to lock the door at night. That's something that you've known how to do for years and years, and now you need a reminder. So that's worth a phone call. And I'm not saying that that in and of itself is a diagnosis. I'm just saying that forgetfulness at that scary level, that's when you need to make a phone call. Yeah. That was a really long answer to your question. <laughs> it's great information. <laughs> and let everyone know where we can find your nonprofit yeah, so the easiest place to find us is on the internet, and our web address is www.quilt2endalz.org, so quilt2endalz.org, with two as a digit instead of written out as a word, just to be clever and something unique, but if you go to the website you'll see a menu button up at the top of the page where you can get to the blog and read about some of the projects that we're doing. You can connect your guild. If you have a guild that would be interested in a program or a presentation, if you just want to have some resources to get connected with Alzheimer's, scroll down to the bottom of the page. You can subscribe to our email. And I'm trying to be really, really consistent in 2021. I feel like our world needs more community, more touches, more contact. And so I've started sending an email out weekly just so that our Quilt and ALZ community feels that presence and 
even if they don't have time to read it, they say, oh, there's Ashley. She's still reaching out to me and I'm part of this community. I think that's really important right now. And also, I saw your mission is quilting to mend the mind. I love that yes. statement. It encompasses so much because I feel like if you feel stressed or frustrated or you've just had a really bad week, if you sit down to your machine or you sit down and cut a new project or even just go to the quilt store or browse online and enjoy just looking at fabric, it's so therapeutic. It's peaceful and it really does calm the mind. It's funny because I find so many different things of what I do. You asked earlier, what are my other hobbies? And so the definition of yoga is to calm the fluctuations of the mind. Cooking is going through repetitive steps that our mind can relax and enjoy that time. Reading books, it's an escape from any frustrations around you to enjoy a story. So I just noticed Everything that I do involves calming the mind and the space around us. And I think that that's exactly what sewing does. It mends the mind. I love it. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you would like to share with me? I guess I have to say I was one of the slow people about getting to podcasts. And there are a couple of them that I listen to. I listen to yours very consistently. And there's one that has to do with coaching wives that I listen to very consistently. And I just think that you're so right that the stories that the quilts tell are wonderful. They're beautiful and they're important. But listening to the stories of the people behind that story, that is just so beneficial. And I feel like there's such a connection. And every single interview that I've heard on your podcast, there's something that the person says and I say, me too. I connect with that person. I have people in this world that know how I feel and it helps us all make sure that we're not alone. And so I think what you're doing is really valuable. I really am honored to be here today. Well, thank you so much for being with me. I was looking forward to this information that you had to share with me and getting to know you a little better. So thanks again. Well, thank you. Like I mentioned earlier, my husband said, are you nervous about your interview today? And I said, oh, no, I feel like I already know Paula. (laughs) (laughs) So you are just doing a great thing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ashley. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm so glad you joined me for this episode of A Quilter's Life. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a review as it helps others to find the show? Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website or a Quilters Life Facebook group to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.